0: If you are a social media individual, if that's one of the places that you like to go find information and engage, you've probably seen this summer great theological debates that have taken place via, in particular, Twitter. If you follow some of the lead pastors that are around the nation, uh, there have been great theological debates between individuals who are on opposing sides, obviously Uh, going after each other to a degree, sharing their position, trying to, in essence, convince or sway or at least state the opinion of where they are theologically, while another combats back and forth. And we've even seen some of that on the news, where conversations have been talked about related to these debates or these differences that individuals in the kingdom have. We've also seen great debates between those who are lost and those who are holding uh, to the truth to the gospel, and to faith. And so we've seen all of these things taking place. One that has not been debated, has not been uh, visible to me anyway, is the resurrection, whether or not it is true. Uh, This morning, we are going to look at the resurrection. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, in fact. We are going to work through the entire chapter this morning, examining the reality of the resurrection looking deeper into the centrality of the resurrection, why that is so critical to our faith, and then looking forward to or expecting the victory that will one day be coming for those of us who have a relationship with Christ, victory for eternity. The Resurrection is central to our faith. Were it not for the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, we would have no victory over sin and death itself. And so Paul, in his writing in this chapter, encourages us, challenges us, shows us why it is so key for us to hold to the truth as we hold out the gospel to the lost and dying world around us. Now, 1 Corinthians 13, if we go back, shows us specifically how to love as Christ loved. In chapter 14, if we look back at that, spiritual gifts, are discussed, and then we see orderly worship. And then we come upon this section, this chapter 15, this writing of Paul, beginning with verse 1 of an encouragement, and then he progresses through the passage. So let's begin by reading 15, verse 1. Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you unless you believed in vain. So as Paul launches out in this section of his letter, he talks about the importance of our holding out the gospel, specifically related to the resurrection of Jesus, gaining power, Jesus, of course, being sent to earth from heaven, living, dying, raising again, giving us the authority and the power to have victory in him. It was Real now, for many in this day and time, they were questioning the reality of the resurrection, saying there were many uh, different uh, uh, suggestions of what took place Jesus' body being taken, stolen by the disciples. Uh, They talked about uh, his actually being burned um, after he died, so there would be no remembrance or semblance of who Jesus was. There were a lot of different uh, debates happening. Also, if we look, the Sadducees, if we remember, the Pharisees and Sadducees being the two religious groups in the New Testament, the Sadducees not believing that the resurrection was a reality. In fact, they said the only thing that they could actually hold on to was the law. And so there were a lot of combatants in this day and time to the actual resurrection of what took place uh, with Jesus living, dying again, and raising again. And so, Paul, in communicating that, reminded the people this gospel that we are preaching is that Christ is alive, the only one to have ever claimed to be God to actually be risen from the dead. Verse 3 For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And then we see the accounts of those who actually saw Jesus after or post the resurrection. That he appeared to Cephas, another name of course for Cephas is Peter, then to the twelve. So first Jesus made himself known to those. We remember walking away from the grave. There were also individuals who walked with him at that point. Then we continue in verse 6. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive. Of course, this being written then, saying they were still alive then, obviously they are not today, though some have fallen asleep or died, passed. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. Now, Paul, if we remember his conversion originally was Saul, became Paul after Christ saved him when he was on the road to Damascus. If it's been a while since you've read that account of his conversion, Acts chapter 9 is a great place to spend time. Seeing what God did specifically in his life. This individual, persecutor, hater of the church. In fact, wanting to wipe off the planet anyone who claimed allegiance or following with Jesus, radically saved, radically converted, radically changed, and now holding out the gospel, holding out the resurrection, that to which he said initially had never happened before he was converted. So all of these individuals seeing the risen Christ, then him making himself known to Saul, Paul, on the road, he saying the least of these apostles, as we continue in verse 9, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. Again, to the point of putting people to death that claimed allegiance with Jesus. Then in verse 10, he reveals part of his personality, two key characteristics of who he was in Christ, but by the grace of God, grace being unmerited favor, the only thing that could have rescued him was the grace of God In his life, God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. He was taking advantage of the opportunity of being safe to communicate the gospel to those who were lost, to plant churches, and to encourage followers of Jesus. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, And so you believe. So the challenge here, the reality of Christ coming, dying, raising again, him communicating that, encouraging the church to preach the gospel alongside him that those who are lost could come into a relationship with Jesus and really find life and have hope and encouragement. The reality of the resurrection. We also see him embrace the centrality of the resurrection beginning in verse 12. Let's start reading there. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, worthless, useless, and your faith is in vain. We are wasting our time if that is not the truth. We're even found to be misrepresenting God. So no longer are we just fools. We're also leading others astray, saying that this is who God is when in actuality he is not. Because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. He is still in the grave. His bones could still be found were it not 2,000 years ago. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sin. We have no hope. Everyone on the planet, past, present, future, dead in sin, spend an eternity away from Christ. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. In other words... Hang up the keys to the church. Keep your park parked in the driveway or in your garage and start spending Sundays at the pool or wherever else you want to go because you are wasting your time. If Jesus, in fact, was not raised from the dead and if we have not experienced life in him, we in this room are fools and to be pitied. And we are wasting our time on Sunday morning, week after week. The reality and the fact, however, is that Jesus did come. He did live. He did die. And he is raised from the dead. He changed Paul's life. These members of the church, this letter to the Corinthians, this passion that Paul was sharing that he had for Jesus is true. He was a changed life. And so our message carries hope to the lost and to the dying. We are not wasting our time here. We have hope verse 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, remember back to Genesis, Adam and Eve sinned, displaced from the garden, everyone after that point being born into sin, all die, all of us physically one day will die. So also in Christ shall all be made alive, the second Adam, the one who gives us hope, the Son of God, but each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and power, that day is coming. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Of course, Jesus conquering the death. One day we will conquer death as well when we see him face to face. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is accepted who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him that God may be all in all. I don't know of another reading in my life where I've seen the term subjection so many times. (laughs) Otherwise, what do people mean by being baptized on behalf of the dead? The dead are not raised at all. Why are people baptized on their behalf? Why are we in danger every hour? I protest, brothers, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die every day. We talk about this consistently. Death to self, life in Christ, putting to death the flesh, doing away with sin, running towards Jesus, him doing that work in us. What do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus? Then we can go back to Paul's life again, looking at the totality of it, the number of times he was shipwrecked, almost killed for the sake of the gospel. If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. No hope, do something different. Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Wake up from your drunken stupor, as is right, and do not go on sinning. For some have no knowledge of God. I say this to your shame. We have the responsibility, as followers of Jesus, to carry the gospel. And I love that verse 33, which actually is found in Proverbs. If you read Proverbs chapters 1 and 18, you can also see some wisdom that you can glean from that. It can encourage us to continue walking with the Lord Bad company ruins good morals. Another way to put it, bad company corrupts good character. For those of you who are parents, you can ask our kids. A constant running theme in our home, conversationally with their kids about the people they hang out with, bad company corrupts good character. It's important for us to make sure that the primary drives relationally that we have with people those who are closest knit to our lives and hearts are followers of Jesus because we can re- receive mutual encouragement, challenge, same path, same drive, differences of opinion at times, but all pointing towards the kingdom that refines us, encourages us, challenges us to love God more from the depths of our lives, which he desires for us to do. If we constantly saturate ourselves and our lives With those who are lost, who are in a different place, a different position, there's danger there. Now, we are to be in the world, and we are to share the gospel, and we are to hold out light. That is our responsibility. But this body of believers, together, walking together, is critical for us to make it. Because the opposing voices, the opposing opinions, even if we're so deeply steeped in God's word, consistently memorizing, consistently walking we still require, desire those who love Jesus to be the closest to us, praying for one another, encouraging one another, striving in this life as we hold out the gospel. We've got to have it. We've got to be careful. We've got to be careful ourselves and for those with whom we're responsible. Verse 36. Here we see the beginning of the expectation of victory we have in the resurrection. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or some other grain. But God gives it, A body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed, to his own body. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars. For star differs... From star to star in glory. So is it with the resurrection of the dead? What is sown is perishable. It fades. It goes away. What is raised is imperishable. It never dies. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown in a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. there's a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written... The first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural. Then comes the spiritual. The flesh to the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just As we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. We bear the image of Christ if we are followers of his in this world. Being light. Sharing hope. Sharing the gospel. Sharing salvation. John Stott wrote a book a long time ago called Basic Christianity, talking about the transition that took place when the disciples saw Christ after his being resurrection transitioning them from being cowards, being in a room, afraid to even leave it, to all of a sudden becoming martyrs. He said this, We can see the change in them without being asked to look. The men who figure in the pages of the Gospels are new and different men in the Acts. The death of their master left them despondent, disillusioned, and near to despair. But in the Acts, they emerge as men who hazard their lives for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and who turn the world upside down. Those were the disciples. How is your world being turned upside down today? Not necessarily your world, but the world of those who are coming to contact with you. Are you so saturated with, in love with, Pouring your life out for others in that they can see the reality of Jesus in your life. The disciples obviously showed and displayed that from who they were. Look at verse 50. The next set of verses often are read at funerals. Rarely preached on on a Sunday morning because it gives, gives great encouragement and hope for followers. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God For those who are followers of Jesus, they will enter, we will enter eternity with the King, and it will be never-ending. The goodness of Christ in us, new bodies, resurrected, changed, different for eternity. Verse 58, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable. Always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. The encouragement that Paul gives at the end. Continue after it. Stay after it. Keep working. Don't allow our lives to become distracted by everything that's happening around us. Let's keep our eyes firmly fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him scorned the the cross, experienced the cross scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Therefore, since you are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that's so easily entangled and continue to run the race that God has called us to, fixing our eyes on Jesus. How are you doing in your race? As was the beginning of the message There are a lot of distractions. This world is hard. Following Jesus is challenging. Our flesh constantly at war with our spirit. Striving, falling back, being encouraged, being discouraged. All that the enemy tries to do to distract, distort, change. But our calling is plain. We are to remain immovable, always abounding in the work of of the Lord, serving, knowing that one day when we see him face to face, he will look at us, followers of Jesus, and say, well done, good and faithful servant. We are serving for him. How are you doing in the area of service? Last set of verses. Philippians 3, 12 through 14. Not that I've already obtained all this, or am already made Perfect. But I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, and this is hard. Forgetting what lies behind. Forgetting the past. Forgetting the distraction. Forgetting the sin. Forgetting the failure. Forgetting the victories. Because all the victories and the glory of those go to Jesus Anyway, forgetting what lies behind, it's already done, it's past. The best days, by the way, are not behind us, they are in front of us. If we follow Jesus and believe the Holy Spirit is working and moving, we have not seen Him do everything yet. As individuals and as a church family, the best days are ahead. God is going to continue to move and work and change our lives and our church family the way He wants it to be. Our best days are in front. And it's a joy to be able to say that. And straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. A term, resolve. We will be a people of resolve. We will continue to strain ahead, glorifying Jesus all the way. The good, the bad, the ugly, and everything else. Knowing that, he loves us, is for you, and desires that you experience and encounter him moment by moment, day by day, because he has an incredible plan for your life to make a difference on this planet for his sake, to know him as he knows you. What a joy. So, why does this make a difference in our lives? Good question. Or, how does it make a difference? The resurrection itself. It's already been stated. If this is all for naught, if Jesus really wasn't raised from the dead, we are dead in our sins. Hang it up. But if the truth is that he is alive, that he has changed your life when you surrendered to him, this life is worth it. And you have hope. He changed my life when I surrendered. Age 15. There was a difference immediately in my life and heart when I surrendered. How long has it been for those of you who have been believers for a long time since you've remembered that moment for you? Struggling with joy? Restore to me the joy of my salvation. David cried out in Psalm 51 and grant a willing spirit in me to sustain me. Maybe that's what you need today. If you're here and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, you've never received forgiveness for your sin, you've never repented, turned away from the old life and run to Jesus and allowed this work from Christ who is alive to radically change you from the inside out. Today is your day. That's why you're in the room. To hear the gospel, to hear Jesus offer for you of life and to give your life to the one who gave his life for you. Maybe there's something else happening today in your life we don't know of, but God does. And he's been speaking directly to you in the service. Will you yield to him and be obedient in what he's calling you to do in this moment? Let's stand together and we'll pray.